Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. Ho, 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 and welcome to Reasonable Doubts, the radio show and podcast for those who won't just take things on faith. Coming to you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, the clasp on America's Bible bra. You can find us online at www.doubtcast.org, or those of you in West Michigan can listen to us on Public Reality Radio, WPRR 1680, Ada, Grand Rapids, or streaming live at publicrealityradio.org. My name is Dave Fletcher. With me in the studio is Jeremy Bean. Yellow. And unfortunately, our uh, third doubtcaster, the Dr. Professor Luke Galen, our very own Christmas elf, is unable to make it in today because uh, he snowed in. That's right. We have been hit by quite the blizzard lately here in Grand Rapids. God's wrath is surely falling upon our heads. Uh, coming up later in this show, we have an interview with Nicole Alley, who and, – and this has to be a mistake here. It says she's the author of Nothing. Yeah, that's correct. Um, but I believe that's the name of her book rather oh, than a statement of her – Her bibliography. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, uh, Nothing, Something to Believe in is the name of her uh, memoir. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, raising kids without faith with Nicole Alley. Amongst other things, it's a little more laid-back episode of Reasonable Doubts than we've been having lately. But yeah, uh, I really enjoyed our chat with Nikolali. It was a refreshing change of pace. Right. Something special for the holidays. We've, we've had a couple of uh, pretty heady, hard-hitting episodes, so we're, we're uh, going a little bit laid-back. Kicking back, enjoying yeah. the season. In the spirit of the holidays, let's open up our mailbag. First off, we have a letter from Mark. He says... I don't see what right you have to criticize the Lord's word by going into details of the Bible and trying to find inconsistencies to cast doubt on the true word of God. Nah, just kidding, he says. Love the show. Been looking for a religiously themed skeptical show for a while. There are plenty of great podcasts covering conspiracies, quackery, or just general skepticism. But your podcast was the one that completes a major section that I found missing. Well, thanks for that, Mark. We appreciate you. Mark's that. strategy by trying to veil his email as a offended listener actually worked pretty well because it got right up to the got top our of the viewing list. That's right. Uh, it turned out to be more supportive, though. Yes. Uh, and he goes on to, to say that he has some thoughts regarding the bad PR that uh, our movement has been experiencing recently, uh, due in part to this plaque that was set up at the uh, – um, capital in Washington. Washington State. Washington State. We talked about this on our most recent episode. Um, and he has some suggestions. He says, I do like the trees of knowledge, which we talked about last time. But I think us atheists should rebrand Christmas to our own ideology and have that beside the Christian decorations on public property anyway. Here's a few ideas. And these are, these are I think, all solid ideas. Carlmas, a celebration of all things Sagan. Chris Hitchens miss. Christopher Hitchens' wise words should be heard as well, he says. And a naivety scene as a warning to those who accept things without critical thinking. I especially like that one. That's a good one. I had to read it a couple of times before I noticed that it was naivety scene and right. not nativity. But 
very clever. They're they're very similar in concept and in spelling. Yeah, that's true. Happy jolly days, he says. No need to have anything holy for a jolly day. Anyway, enough of the bad puns, he says. Keep up the great work. And I, I just have to add, as an English major, there are never enough bad puns. That seems to be Luke's philosophy too, but uh, he's not here to sound off on that. No, so, that's, and, that's for sure. And uh, thank goodness. Um, and also in our listener email, we have a suggestion about uh, to whom we can offer a lump of coal this holiday season. That's right. A nomination for our shit list, uh, the Christmas edition, which will be candy cane lump of coal. Yes. And, uh, and also this one helps us not look like the scorching liberal uh, – Podcasts that we are uh, that we indeed actually are. We are actually are. Yes, uh, getting a lump of coal from us is uh, none other than President Elect Barack Obama, and he earned that lump of coal big time when he decided to use Pastor Rick Warren, yeah, of the famous Purpose Driven Life Christian Book series, and a a big anti-gay activist. Really a scumbag in many regards. Michelle Goldberg, writing for The Guardian UK, put it way better than either of us could. She writes, If nothing else, Rick Warren is a miracle worker in the realm of public relations. He is a man who compares legal abortion to the Holocaust and gay marriage to incest and pedophilia. He believes that Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, and other non-Christians are going to spend eternity burning in hell he doesn't believe in evolution, and he recently dismissed the social gospel, the late 19th and early 20th century Protestant movement that led a religious crusade against poverty and inequality as, mm. quote, Marxism in Christian clothing. Yet thanks to his amiable attitude and jocular tone, he has managed to create a popular image for himself as a moderate, even progressive force in American life a reasonable, compassionate alternative to the punitive, sex-obsessed inquisitors of the religious right. And Barack Obama, hallowed be his name, who <laughs> should know better, has helped him to do it. And I couldn't agree with Michelle Goldberg's assessment more. Yeah, and, and it's actually surprising to me that Rick Warren is agreeing to do this for Obama too, except, of, of course, you have that great uh, PR spin where he is, yeah. I'm a moderate, I'm open-minded. I'm Goldberg also mentions that she feels that Warren is probably positioning himself to be sort of uh, the Billy Graham for the new millennium, right. the nation's pastor, so to speak. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that's on his agenda at all. He seems to be uh, very much into self-promotion mm -hmm. and uh, really, really uh, top-notch sleazeball in my opinion. And I'm very upset that Obama is doing this. Even if he's trying to do a shrewd political calculation. He won. Trying to win over some of those evangelicals, which I guess politically could be a good move. Um, Clearly didn't need them this time around. That's right. And the, the message that he's now putting out goes against a lot of what, what a lot of the values he's supposed to represent yeah. and a lot of the, the values that we, we voted him in for. Yeah, it, it's very sad. The Los Angeles Times has an article about this as well. And they point out the amount of energy that Warren put into supporting Proposition 8, which stripped homosexuals of their right to marry in that state. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, for a lot of Obama supporters, 
I think the article points out quite rightly that this election was sort of a bittersweet moment. Uh, Many people were thrilled to see that Obama won the election and what that meant for the civil rights movement and everything else. But at the same time, we had this Proposition 8 showing that uh, at least if you're a homosexual in America. You are not created equal. That's right. You are a second-class citizen still. And um, for Obama to get behind that message, which is what I think he's doing, he's mm-hmm. endorsing Warren whether he likes it or not. Yeah. It's it's truly, truly sad and an unfortunate thing. Right. And he may agree with Rick Warren in part on some issues. But by by making this decision, it's, it feels like at least a across the board saying, I accept what this man has to say. Um, I can support him. I'm okay with linking him with me on this most important right. day of my life. And uh, and that's that's deeply depressing. Yeah. The, on an on a important day in American history during, during Obama's inauguration, mm-hmm. when it'll be in the history books for all time that we have an African-American now, as president, isn't it ironic that we'll have a bigot giving the invocation and a bigot that Barack Obama handpicked mm-hmm. to speak for him? And so, Barack Obama, you get a lump of coal this Christmas from the Reasonable Doubts podcast. Yeah. It's also sad to me that we need to have a pastor involved with this ceremony at all because yeah. that, uh, that seems wrong. Anyway, uh, thanks to uh, Megan Littlejohn, our listener who uh, suggested. Yes, nominated. This nomination. So thanks for that, Megan. Thank you very much. Sorry, it couldn't be happier news. All right, we're going to turn now to our interview with Nicolelli, author of Nothing, Something to Believe in. Uh, well, let us welcome Nicolelli to the podcast. Welcome, Nika. Thank you. Nicolelli's book, Nothing, Something to Believe in. You are the writer of Nothing. You have written nothing. I have written nothing. Yes, that's that's a very impressive thing to have on your resume. Even more impressive is to get nothing published. That's right. That's very true. Just as a bit of constructive criticism, I have to say my one complaint about the book is its cover. It's all white, so it gets dingy almost immediately. I mm. felt like I had to wash my hands every time before I picked it, it up. It is pure. It Well, yes, it's pure, and like all pure things, they get corrupted very easily. There's nothing on it. That's right. The nothing. You must be so <laughs> sick of nothing puns by now. As our listeners are sure to be. Yeah. <laughs> Especially I'll take by them. the end it's of this. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the book is your memoir. It's story of growing up non-religious and, and so forth. Now, for those of us who were raised in religious families, which Jeremy and I both were, I find this absolutely fascinating. It's this whole other world that I don't really fully understand. Mm-hmm. Um, are you getting that a lot as you're touring and talking to people in the in the non-religious movement? Um, well, I think there's some of that. There's some misunderstanding of what my book is um, in that it is a memoir and mm-hmm. it isn't a treatise or a, um, you know, it's not an essay about atheism at all, really. So that's been sort of interesting. Like people say, but it's a memoir. It's just a memoir. Well, that's really, <laughs> yes, that's what it is. Um, in terms of the the non-religion, the being raised with no religion, yeah. I mean, there are people who 
feel like it must not have given me anything to push up against. Mm. That that for those of you who were raised with religion, you sort of rebelled against it. And my right. husband is one of those people too. Mm -hmm. And and people often say, but don't you? Even non-believers say, but don't you feel that you need like a base? You know, something something to not believe in almost. You know, <laughs> and and I think one of the reasons that I explored this theme of being raised is nothing because we all have a lot of themes we can explore if we sure. want to go back and delve into our uh, childhoods, teenage years, and young adulthood. Um, but, you know, I sort of picked this because I felt like it was something that isn't really acknowledged. Uh, and so the other side of what has happened is a lot of people say, oh, my gosh, I, I was raised. I'm nothing, too. I was raised <laughs> as a nothing. Right. So I have both people who do stare kind of like – I'd like to think with a bit of jealousy <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> for my I'll situation, that, although yeah. I wouldn't have said that, I don't think, as a child. I sure. really wanted to be something, um, but not badly enough to actually ever be anything. <laughs> um, but but I think that, yeah, it's been it's definitely interesting um, divide even within the non-belief community of those who push off against versus those who never had. Right. And I have to say that as a literature guy, I deeply appreciated that this is just a memoir. You don't make a whole lot of arguments about theology and any of that. And it's so refreshing to have that because we have enough of that. Oh, yeah. We, we you have, can get well, that elsewhere. I don't elsewhere. know if we have enough of well, it, but we have a lot of in that. The, but see, the interesting thing is that my book came out... Um, you know, a month and a half before Hitchens' God is Not Great came out. Mm. So then it was sort of like, um, you know, it maybe the subtitle should have been nothing. This is not Christopher Hitchens' book. You know, I mean, just like it's not that kind of book. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and I like to think that they do um, complement each other. Yeah. I think it's something that's missing out of the, the new atheist canon as it were. I mean, we need that, that human side. It's, rather than... it's coming. There are a couple of books coming out yeah. in the next couple of publishing cycles that I, that I have heard about sure. that I feel are, I sort of am trying to think of kinder, gentler atheist as a, as, as any street cred. <laughs> but um, there do seem to be books that, that I've gotten to look at that seem more concerned with presenting non-belief as a positive thing and, mm -hmm. And not even really addressing as opposed to belief, but just sort of right. like, hey, you know, this is the way we are. This is what, what you know, it can be. And that definitely was what I wanted to, to try to do was just sort of say, hey, here I am, you know. Because when you read that people hate you, mm -hmm. and I mean people in high political office, <laughs> like George Bush the first, who I recently read some quote of his that mm. was just it, like, well, I don't even know if atheists really are Americans or right. if they even belong in yeah. our country. Like, oh, hi, um, <laughs> I'm an American and I, I really am nice. And, you know, I'm from a good family and right, we do right. things for our community. And I don't know. I just it's so shocking that people really just think like oh, they eat their children. Yes. <laughs> But because your book deals with your own upbringing and you are yourself a mother of a, what, 14-year-old? I have an almost 14-year-old and a almost 11-year-old. Okay. We thought we would take the opportunity to talk to you about some of these issues of, of raising a child in a free-thinking uh, As a nothing. Yes, because see, although you were raised with religion, mm -hmm. if you're true to yourself and don't just please your parents who want your children baptized well, and off to church and all the rest. No, no, but I'm saying that I know people who are 
pretty staunch atheists, but still do yeah. the religious sure. stuff to please the grandparents or the great aunt who has the purse strings or whatever. Even in your book, though, you talk about having um, a Seder when you were a child. Ah, well, you know, I sort of blend in what many people consider to be religious uh, traditions mm -hmm. into my own um, secular life. I love to do the following things. Eat, drink, gather, party, chat over mm -hmm. a table. If you invite me to a, a party that's just music and um, beer, let's say, but it's loud music, so everyone's just standing there kind of screaming at each other, yeah. I am going to leave very early, and I will not be happy. I'm right there with I you. I like to sit and talk around a dinner table. So that's basically what a Seder is, and sure. my Seder is completely historical and only mentions uh, the one I wrote because I had to write my own because you can't find one that really fits your needs right. if you're, you know, irreligious. Mm -hmm. um, so mine only mentions God when it's talking about the story of Moses and Noda said story of Moses. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that ties into the thing that we've gotten a lot from our listeners is they're asking about celebrating holidays mm. and, and these kinds of events. Uh, we have an email from Carrie that I'd like to read to you and, mm -hmm. and get your reaction to it because she summed up a lot of what um, what other people are saying. She says, I'm a mother of a toddler, and we all know that holidays such as Christmas and Easter are in the past. I blended in well with the believers in both my family and my husband's family by putting my emphasis on the more secular reasons for these holidays, such as peace on earth, being kind to others, renewal, etc. I've been able to get away with not celebrating some of these holidays at all. Yet I can't help but feel like a bit of a hypocrite when I do celebrate some of these occasions. Now with the introduction of a child into the family, there will be the obligatory Easter dinners with Easter baskets and things and carols sung about Jesus and all that. Not to mention the questions that go along with these holidays that I will inevitably face from my daughter when she starts to realize that the only time she hears about Jesus is at Christmas at Graham's house. Mm -hmm. How do I give my kids the experience of these holidays without compromising my personal beliefs? I want to raise free thinkers and not push my personal opinions onto my kids. And that's an important mm -hmm. distinction. In the same way, my mother didn't want to push her Protestant upbringing on us. Mm. And I don't want to deny my children the joy that these holidays can bring, albeit in a more material sense. Any thoughts on the subject will be welcomed. Thank you, says Carrie. Wow, there are a lot of thoughts on the subject. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, there are holidays in this country that are in that have religious roots. Okay, sure. right? we can all agree on that. So, like Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> just like, well, you know what? In New York City, that's a school holiday. Is it really? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so is Yom Kippur. So I think not so um, big in Grand Rapids. No, I don't imagine. Yeah. And but you know, here's the thing. There's no rule that says you have to celebrate Christmas in any given way. There's no rule that says that you have to believe uh, in certain things in order to celebrate certain holidays. Um, I think you can own them in your own way. That's what I've done. Now, that means that you have to think about what's important to you in these very big, messy holidays. And they're messy because they have tons of religion mm -hmm. for people who choose to go that direction and sure. they also have tons of materialism and capitalism right. which can stuff. bog you down mm -hmm. well it's fun but it's also overwhelming yeah like after um 
you know, many, many Christmases with my two now, you know, teenage children. Mm -hmm. uh, this year I said no electronics. I'm not buying you any <laughs> electronics. You well, know? they have them all by now. But they always want something new. And also, um, I don't know. I just thought, like, ick. That's not what I want to do. So um, mm -hmm. just taking control of those, some of those little details and then some of the big overarching ideas. Um, in my family, Christmas is about the three Fs, food, family, and fun. Hmm. Now, my children insist on putting presents in there, so I said that we would spell it with an F. So we have four Fs, food, family, fun, and presents. <laughs> um, but, you know, it really, it's like your focus. And, yeah, yeah, you mm -hmm. got to navigate your families, and that's not always easy. Sure. And then you've got to navigate your children, their expectations, and their understandings, mm -hmm. which is also not easy. But, um, you know, if we wanted the really easy way out, we probably wouldn't be free thinking in the first place, right? Mm. So. Very good point. Okay. Mm -hmm. So your kids are going to say, well, what is this holiday? Why do we do this? Why are we doing that? Why do they say this? Who is Jesus? What does it mean? Well, I tell my children that Jesus is the reason for the season because it is. And mm -hmm. there's a historical precedent that I can talk to them about why Christmas is what it is, you know, and I'm not indoctrinating them. Sure. I'm, and I'm answering their questions and I'm trying to be as informative as possible. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, as somebody who doesn't really have a great handle on, or I didn't used to, I guess I do now after a year of talking about religion, you can't help but <laughs> get it a little Pick bit more. Some stuff, yeah. um, but, you know, I, we talk about every year we have to talk about Easter. We don't even celebrate mm -hmm. Easter because it's just a holiday. I don't. I never got it. Yeah. And it doesn't have all of the it. trappings of, of a Christmas. Well, I love know? chocolate. Well, yeah. You know, and oh. the coconut eggs are my favorite. Oh, Anybody who wants to send me one next year. But and there is something delightfully cruel about hiding presents from somebody. That is true. Well, that's cute. I never really understood what the hiding had to do with Jesus dying on the cross and coming back to life. But no, no. Maybe doesn't. he was hiding in the cave. I don't know. We made up our own Easter story in my house that has to do with the fact that Jesus' body disappeared because um, there were lions in the cave. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Because my son has to have a logical explanation for things. And I kept saying, well, I don't know. It just disappeared. It just, it, people think it rose up to heaven. Because I think it's important, too, to present these religious stories. I try to present some of them with as straight a face as possible. And, you know, and then they pushed the stone away and Jesus' body was gone. Well, what happened to the body? Well, uh, they they said that he was taken up by his father, who was God. Well, how could his father be God? Well, that's what happened. You know, I try to say yeah. that, and my kids are just like, no, really, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> so I had to shut Victor up because we were on a car trip, and I was tired of, like, the line of questioning. So I was like, okay, there were these big lions in the back of the cave. <laughs> they came out, ate the body. The Romans went nuts. They didn't know where it had gone. And for some reason, everybody thought it had gone to heaven. But in any case, I'm, I'm just saying. It's I can't a, wait till I get back to school to tell my friends this. They're never going to believe it. Yeah. Oh, but they will believe that <laughs> yeah, Jesus uh, came right. back oh, to sure, life sure, and sure. lives forever mm -hmm. um, in the sky. And the, oh, yeah. So, you know, I mean, you have to go through the calendar, really, and say, like, well, which of these holidays do I want to celebrate and which are, are just a pain in my ass? Like mm -hmm. Feast of the Assumption? I don't know. Yes or no, you know. Yeah. Rosh Hashanah, 
okay, well, you can eat a special cookie on that day, so maybe it's fun, or maybe that's poor, <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, I mean, that's what I did. I really literally went through the calendar and was like, and then I negotiated with my mother. You can have Hanukkah, okay? Hanukkah is yours. Do with it whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Sure. So she has a huge Hanukkah party, you know. If you have in-laws nearby, you might have to negotiate with them. But it's just, to me, it, it, it's fun, and we should have fun. Celebration is good. You should embrace it. That's mm-hmm. my opinion. So you're not in the Tom Flynn set that that basically shuts out the fact that Christmas even exists, acts like it's not there. Well, how do you get through the winter? That's that's my question. I'm yeah. a kind of um. I, suppose, what's that I don't called think Tom Flynn has little kids. Sad. What's it called? Mad dad. Bad. <laughs> seasonal. Oh, yeah. Oh, Sad. Seasonal, depressive. Effect. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I don't like, I don't go like into, you know, deep medication, but by mid December, I'm kind of ready for yeah. a little sure. light and. That's why the solstice wine. is there, you know? <laughs> well, that's the other thing. I was going to be a solstice family. We're yeah. going to celebrate the solstice. And then a lot of my friends were like, that's just going to be weird. So in some ways, like, pick. Hanukkah or pick mm-hmm. Christmas and a lot of what we do at Christmas is completely secular anyway. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What the hell is a pine tree most with of the little red are, balls are, have right. to do with Jesus? Yeah. Right. So And our side, we don't have to perpetuate our beliefs by sheltering our children from them. We can be right. bright and out in the open about what all different points of view are. We have we have no reason to be threatened and so why not expose children to different seasonal holidays of different religions? It's it's no threat to us to do exactly. that. Exactly. Right. I think that's a really good point because we, we you know, I am not threatened by religious belief in my household. And when people come over who have it, I try to get them to discuss. You know, and my my mother-in-law brought this Oh my gosh. She brought my children candy canes, which are fine mm-hmm. and very tasty, whatever. But it had a little piece of paper attached to it which I think oh, I kept and it no. was the, the true story of the of the blood. candy cane and my son, 10-year-old like total dyed-in-the-wool atheist, comes up to me with this candy cane in one hand and this little piece of paper in the other, and he just goes, Mom. And he handed me the paper like with these big bug eyes. And I looked at it, and I burst out laughing. <laughs> and then I went upstairs, and I went on to Google, and I Googled it because, you know, the Internet I, is a of great tool for all of us. Um, and I came back down, and I announced to her, to my mother-in-law, it's a very sweet woman, I said, that is complete bunk. I, That's not what the candy cane is at all. And so, I've suspected that for and years. She and she was never like, really? I never knew that. You know, because you guys got to let me in. What is the candy cane about? It's, I don't or know. Supposedly, it's, according oh, to well, Supposedly, it's, the, it's the shaped crook. like J for Jesus. Oh, okay. No, no, no. I think it was just a candy that they made straight. Right. And then they decided to make it look like more like a shepherd's hook or like something okay. you could hang. Okay. I mean, I don't think it was like so deeply imbued with any kind of religious um, meaning. I just think it was right. a candy maker who was like, oh, straight is boring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this right. Is, this looks you know, pretty. Oh, oh right. look. But this I've heard that. Like, I can hang I mean, these the up to dry I mean, the shepherd's crook I have no problem with. Right. I've heard that that <laughs> urban legend for white years is the blood that of it's Jesus, the, yes, white and the is white the purity. Is the purity. Yeah, I figured and, it was something like that. But that's that. not yeah. actually what it is. Well, and a you quick know, Google search I finds that out for you. I found many sites on Google that had the hmm. history of the candy cane and, and specifically that said th- this gets circulated by certain churches and it's sure. not true. But you know, hmm. it, it it I don't know. I think the other key for Carrie was it. 
yeah. who wrote the email? Yes. To, to remember is that um, if you are raising children to be free thinking, it means you have to have a lot of discussions. Mm-hmm. And, um, and as I said, you know, they're not always easy. So Right. Um, one of our other listeners, Bill, um, who says, by the way, that he has a nativity scene that's, that he puts up around the holidays for um, – just because of the memories yeah, from his childhood. Too. But he puts up a sign by it mm-hmm. that says, uh, avoiding hypocrisy disclaimer. This manger scene in no way suggests our belief in the deity of, uh. <laughs> yeah, uh, in the deity of Jesus or existence of God is anything more than imaginary. So I like that a that's whole lot. Hysterical. Um, oh, that's hysterical. And he also says that um, he's an advocate of the idea that teaching one religion indoctrinates teaching about many religions inoculates. Mm. Yeah. Good, mm-hmm. good, nicely put. Um, yeah, nicely I thought put. I thought that was great. Yeah, that's but very good. I have a, a friend who has a 13-year-old daughter, and her 13-year-old daughter has now um, – or 11-year-old. 11-year-old daughter who has been into Buddhism for mm-hmm. a couple of years now. But now thanks to an aunt, she's really into Catholicism now too. Uh-huh. And my friend said, I'm, I'm really kind of disappointed, but Pretty I soon want she's her – she's going to get into juggling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she said, you know, but I want her to make her own decisions and all that. Now, if if your son or daughter. Oh, my daughter d- d- did say this. Yeah. OK. It, I mean, if they if they said, you know, what? I want to go to church. I want to go to church. Yeah. I, I love the Jesus. Um, I accept the Holy Spirit into my heart. OK, Would you well, be we disapp- never got that. OK, far. we didn't get the as far as I love the Jesus. <laughs> I we just got to. <laughs> I want mom. Can I go to church now? I think that she said it because she thought I was going to fly into a rage and say, I'm a, I wrote a book about being an atheist. You can't go to church. Uh, so she and is instead, 13. instead I okay. said, yeah, sure, I'll call Carol. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My nice. friend who goes to Catholic Church, a very – and we live in a very liberal place. I mean that's another New thing. York. We live in Brooklyn. No, yes. it's not just New York. It's yeah. Brooklyn. Mm. Land of a thousand churches and nobody really cares what you are, you know? <laughs> so – and there are a lot of very, very open, liberal – uh, churches of all st- and mm-hmm. and synagogues for that matter of all s- or even um, mosques of all stripes. Right. So when she said I want to go to church, instantly two really good friends who go to very um, liberal. Uh, one goes to liberal Catholic church and one goes to uh, very very liberal. I think it's Methodist, but in any case, mm-hmm. um, I said, oh, I'll call, I'll call Laura, I'll call Carol, and and yeah, you, anytime. Just tell me which Sunday you want to go. Well, as soon as I said that, she was like, meh, I don't really want to go. <laughs> and um, but you know, I told her anytime. Just you know, you can go with, with uh, that's fine. Sure. Now, if she came and said she wanted to go to you know Joel Osteen's lecture in Madison Square Garden, <laughs> I might have a bit of a problem with that. Right, but hopefully, right. <laughs> hopefully, you know, because we talk about this so much, I feel like we are a bit inoculated from it. Sure. Just having the conversation. Now, if she said I wanted to smoke, would you say yeah, have a cigarette? Would that work out no, the same if way? She you think? wants to smoke. Uh, both my children know that if they smoke, I break both their arms. See, now that's fair. And while you were raised non-religious, your husband came from a a religious background, mm-hmm. and his he has a sister who you talk about quite a bit in your book, who's uh, quite religious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and how does that work out now? Uh, where are you with her? <laughs> it doesn't work. Out. It, okay, <laughs> that's that's where you kind of left it off you in know, the book. Did she read your wondering. book? Incidentally. I don't know. She, uh, okay, so yes, my husband was raised in a religious family, but by the time he was about seven, he decided that he didn't believe in any of it and wanted to stop going to church, to which his parents said no. 
Mm. You have to go to church and church camp and church choir and church mm. this and that. Um, and I mean, but his parents are his his mom, uh, his father passed away, but his mom is. Um, I mean, I just call her like an, a normal American church-going person. Sure. Like it doesn't infiltrate every second of her day. It's not Jesus campy and she's fairly. No, I mean, she's. She can be a human being she's and a She's conservative and yeah. Christian, yeah. And, and you know, she's a lovely woman and we get along very, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm very outspoken for that family, but they've had to adjust. Um <laughs> But with Greg's sister, it was really bad and it got worse before I even ever thought of writing a book because they mm-hmm. never really wanted to know anything about me other than the fact that I was not Christian right. and therefore I was going to suffer. Mm-hmm. Now, people have written – I've gotten a lot of really great fan mail. I've gotten a lot of really great hate mail too. But um, <laughs> a lot of the – one of the – recently, just last week, I got a letter from a gentleman in – England, who said that he used to be um, a Christian, like a born again kind of Christian, and yeah. that he's not anymore. He's he's on the dark side. But anyway, he <laughs> um, he said that I should know that they were trying that they weren't. He he's, he was trying to explain to me. I mean, he did explain. I'm just not being articulate about it. That. They were trying to save me because they really do think that's the right thing to do. And it's not malicious. I view it as fairly malicious and nasty because I'm like, hi, do you want to know who I am? Because I'm right here. Mm -hmm. And you don't really have to change me to know me. You can just kind of – we can work it out. I like to second that notion that your mailer sent. I tried explaining this to – some friends of mine that weren't ever raised religious, but I ministered or I witnessed, tried to share the gospel, actually means I'm trying to win converts at my high school to friends of mine that weren't believers in the way that I was a believer. And I had to fight the impulse that this was the wrong thing to do, that I was being disrespectful, that I had no business getting into their life. These were all thoughts wait, that wait, came you up. Were a, you, you did I was this a as Christian. a Christian, right? Okay. Yeah. The, the normal human response, you know, normal human dignity, which kicks in at a moment like that and says, no, you don't proselytize to a close friend of yours like this. This mm-hmm. is degrading. Right. Those natural impulses came up. I had to interpret them as being sinful, mm. that I was being a coward and not Selfish not doing, and, yeah, 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 not following the Lord. And I had to pray and have others counsel me and other things to try to convince me that this was the right thing to do. I see. So for some people, there's even there's even a lot of um, resistance to being that sort of way. But we we some of us were just so indoctrinated into it that, yeah. So I, I could definitely echo what your mailer sent you. Yeah, but for me, you know, I always viewed their praying for me and their attempted conversions, I suppose, is mm-hmm. really what they were, as uh, hostile acts. And I didn't want it. I, re- I wanted, right. And I wanted them to know that I felt fine the way I, you know, I'm fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I really just wanted to find a place of peace. Uh, in the in this familial relationship, right? Yeah. And the more I tried to get there, the worse it got. Um, you know, I just couldn't fix it. And then, you know, when you take something apart and then you try to put it back together, and it just gets worse and worse. End up with mm-hmm. extra pieces. Yeah, and yeah. and, and mm-hmm. you, you know, 
you just throw the yeah. whole thing on the floor. Well, that's pretty much where we are. So yeah. um, I don't even know if there's necessarily a contradiction. I mean, in some people's cases, there are, but that it is a hostile act. Somebody trying to push their religious views on you is a hostile act. Yeah. Even when the person on the other side, even if they think <laughs> what they're doing is the right thing. The loving thing. Oh, boy. And, mm-hmm. and if they're charismatic enough, they may even personify the devil in you and to keep it consistent with mm-hmm. them that it's True. a hostile act. It's mm-hmm. not you they're fighting. It's the devil in you right. or this, right. you know. Right. But, well, yeah. it is. I mean, it is complicated. And, and um, may I say that I didn't write this book to further damage an already fragile relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, I wrote it um, as a way for me to better understand what what my relationship with religion was. And, and after a five-year fight with them, before I wrote the book, right. I, I, it was just magnified for me. And I just was mm-hmm. like, why is this so compelling? Why is this fight drawing me in and drawing me in? And it's compelling reading, too. I mean, well, the last few chapters <laughs> of the book deal, deal with this quite a bit and, yeah. and 9-11 and, and yeah. all of that. And it really mm-hmm. – um, You know, it got better for a little while with them. And then the book was coming – I had written the book when I wasn't even speaking to them, like, mm, at all. Okay. Although, see, they don't really even acknowledge that we weren't speaking. Hmm. Like, I said to her, well, we weren't speaking when I wrote the book. And she said, I have no idea what you're talking about. We've never not spoken. Now, they moved to the same city that I live in and didn't call me for two years. I don't know what else not speaking is. But apparently (laughs) that didn't mean that they weren't speaking to us. So, Hmm. you know, I'm not dealing with people whose logic has much overlap with my um, and I'm really not a very logical person either, so I'm not <laughs> claiming the higher ground there. I'm just saying it just doesn't overlap. So um, I have decided that after years of kind of playing by their rules as much as I can, which really isn't very much, I have to say, but I <laughs> felt like I was trying mm-hmm. that now they're just going to have to play by mine if they, if they want to if they want back, you know, in at all right. to, to my relationship with them, um, then, you know, they're going to have to talk to me. Yep. about stuff that's not always pleasant. And I wrote an email to that effect. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. I guess it was uh, in October, and I haven't heard anything from them. Sure. I just said, you know, we just have to talk about it. It's mm-hmm. out there. I don't care if, if you've read it or not, because they claim not to have read it, but I kind of They only need one them. book. But, you know, the other... Yeah, sad. that's right. But the other thing is I sent them a copy of the book. Now, um, anybody out there who ever decides to write about me... If you send me the copy of the book, I can tell you it will sit in my house for about two seconds before I rip that sucker open. Because, I mean, come on. It's like sitting there, you know. I know. And it's like they know they're in there. They've got to have. They've. I'm, I know that God gives them strength, but I'm just not sure how much. <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, she also, she did say to me that she was praying for, for that to God that she could forgive me for having done this thing, right. written this book. Mm-hmm. And I, I was, you know, that I was like, well, you can pray to God all you want, but if you really want to work it out, you should just call me. Right. <laughs> How about talk to me? Yeah. I was always like, okay, Maybe God's the Buddhist fine, notion good. of karma would be more appropriate religious uh, concept there. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm not claiming the higher ground there either, so. <laughs> the other... Other thing I wanted to talk to you about because you are an art teacher, right? Yes. You uh, mm-hmm. you teach mm-hmm. art to to school children. I do. Um, and one of the things that I think we are missing in the movement, if you even want to. 
be part of a movement. I, I, I don't know. We talk about this an awful lot, and, and there's a lot of uh, argument about whether it's a movement mm-hmm. or if we're, we're all just, just regular folk, as Susan Jacoby would hate me for saying. Um, <laughs> we lack a lot of art. I think Carl Sagan did a wonderful job of showing kind of the beauty of a non-religious worldview mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. a, a scientific mm-hmm. worldview and all that. Mm-hmm. But when you look at classical art... Um, it's all religious iconography, right? Well, or or I, a great I, deal I, of it. You is. know, I I was thinking about this a lot because I talked to Dan Barker recently mm-hmm. um, from Freedom from and Religion his wife, Foundation. Annie Laurie Gaynor, is it? Gaylor. 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 Uh, for, yeah, they they had me on their um, on their radio show, and mm, they talked yes. to me about this too. And they were talking about art. And, you know, the you know a lot of religious stories that that we see in art mirror right. human. Sure. The human oh, condition, yeah. right? Absolutely. And, yeah. I mean, it's clear that churches paid for the art. Right. Um, it's not always clear to me, um, looking at the paintings, that the that the painters were totally buying into the. Oh right, but, but if that's the know, only that's way you can get commissioned to, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there were many, many artists who obviously mm-hmm. have been totally inspired by their faith and their belief, like Thomas Kincaid, painter of light. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the people who make the Hummel figurines. Yes, but... them too. And the big clown guy. Oh, yeah, the, the, the hobo clown. And the, Keen, yeah. I think his name is. Yeah, yes. Um, you know, there is secular art out there, clearly. Sure. Um, right. And... But is anything that's not overtly religious, should we consider that secular art? I mean, is the Mona Lisa secular art or is the Mona Lisa just... I wonder if we're getting this turned around by Mm. looking at art first and not looking at the quote-unquote movement that we're talking about. The aesthetics professor. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Well, and just human being because... Because I think it's it's our... What we would put within the boundaries of our movement has uh, has tend to be very philosophical and very scientifically oriented, the Mm -hmm. dialogues that we have with one another. I think if there's not enough art in the movement, let's look to ourselves that we aren't talking enough about art, right. that we aren't sharing enough in within the boundaries of what we consider our movement. We don't talk about art. Sure. I'm sure DJ Grothy goes off to an art museum quite often. How often does he talk about it on point of inquiry? Well, a lot more than he used to. Mm-hmm. Same situation with us. Right. We're all big fans. You're very much into drama. How often do we yes. talk about drama as related to our skepticism and that sort and, of thing? Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I was going that's to a big, That's a big point there, yeah. Beyond just sculpture and paintings and all of that, right. I think in, in theater uh, we need a lot more – overtly things that express a naturalistic worldview a little bit more overtly or humanistic worldview as opposed to um, there's a lot a lot of of plays with with religious themes and you know you just got to have faith you just have to blah 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 and I think people aren't even ready to see some of the secular themes too and stuff like are uh, they not ready to see it or they're not seeing it because it's not out there well like think the uh, have have you guys seen the uh, what is it the fountain the, the I, movie, I, I the did fountain. not see the fountain but I, mm-hmm. I love Darren Aronofsky excellent excellent movie um, most people who watch it that I've talked to think it's for sure it's about reincarnation and mm. Buddhism and, and Eastern themes. And no doubt there are plenty of Eastern themes and Buddhist iconography in there. Maybe if we had a secular iconography, we'd see that pop up more and sure. more often. Um, but I, to me, it was 
smack you in the face. This is there's no doubt about it. This is a secular worldview trying to deal with death. How do you deal with death? Uh, losing a loved one. Uh, and it was very naturalistic in the mm -hmm. way it was set up. And it was filled with tons of little scientific allusions, too. Mm -hmm. um, even like heavy atoms inside of the hearts of stars and, and showering the universe with, with those elements. Now, those mm -hmm. are things you're going to need a, probably a better than high school education to pick up in a movie anyways. Sure. So secular themes sometimes might be in there. Well, you know, I think that more important than talking about an art form. Mm -hmm. We have to talk about critical thinking. Mm. Because yes. if you can think critically and discuss, you can analyze, dissect, look at, <laughs> observe, um, really anything. And then you can, you can parse it out. You can, I mean, we could go into a museum and look at the most religiously themed painting there, mm -hmm. and we could decide to talk about it on purely secular, humanist, right. naturalistic terms and say we acknowledge, in much the same way we do with Christmas, that this is a <laughs> religious thing, was created for the purpose of promoting the faith, yes. uh, but we're not going to look at it that way because we we don't want to. And that's the really cool thing is, you know, I mean, I remember because you guys are much more going to be much more well-versed in, in film than me. But, you know, I remember when Star Wars came out and then everyone was like, oh, my gosh, it's religious. It's, you know, it's. Oh, yeah. it's yeah. And, you know, oh. I was like, I just thought it was about the good guys, the little guys winning. You know, I mean, right. Narnia. OK. There yeah. you go. All right. That's pretty oh, obvious. Yeah. 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 But you know what? It was a great movie. Okay, you want to look at I it? I fell as... asleep. Oh, I She's right, it. too. Have you read those tracks from like 1977 when Star Wars About Star Wars? Out? No. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was elaborate. Han Solo is the Gentile believer <laughs> because he's all rugged and everything else. <laughs> Luke Luke is the Luke is like the Jewish Christian, you know? He's He's been, you know, he's open-minded towards, wow. you know, and of course, Obi-Wan is Jesus. I mean, everybody right, knows right, that. Right, right. I remember if you strike yeah, me yeah. down, I shall become oh, more yeah. powerful right, than right. you can ever imagine. Oh, my God, oh, it yeah. makes perfect there sense. Oh, yeah. But I'm just saying that, to me, I think that the movement would make a mistake by saying, we're going to create things that have a secular vocabulary. We're going to only look at things that are already secular. Because I that's agree. not the world we yep. live in. And it's all mi mismashed together. And we need to be able to own these right. things mm -hmm. and they have I mean look if you plus look, it ceases to be art it becomes propaganda if you're sticking in a message that overtly into it well it We're was going propaganda. to create it, it was created this, yeah. but it was created for that purpose sure. I mean people were illiterate and in 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 the middle ages and in in the renaissance right and the pictures the great art of Europe you know was created to teach them that hell was bad and heaven was what you wanted to do sure. and Jesus was the right. way to get you there. Right. And they did it in marvelously graphic, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and mm -hmm. they had to be very clear because people didn't have a lot of time to sit in church. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. you know, and it just it's very, you know, it's it's very interesting um, to go to a museum. And I also have to say that in terms of literacy, religious literacy, um, a museum is a great, a mm, big museum sure. is a great place to start. Uh, bring your kids and spend the day and you can compare and contrast, you know, 
the the six to ten major world religions in a flash. Sure. And that's what I do, and that's how I I often when I'm like you know we're going to do a little world tour today. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's that's part of. Um, when I was religious, I we had to be afraid of everything that was different. You know, mm-hmm. something there was something threatening about it. And if you wanted to learn about Islam, you wanted to learn about Buddhism, you wanted to learn it not to find the truth in it. You wanted to learn it to know how to minister to those people better. Mm. But now as a non-believer, all of those different religious traditions like you say in art uh, and everything else, none of them – all of them are representations of how human beings have tried to come to know their world and and know each other. And so there's merit in studying – there's there's no such thing as forbidden knowledge anymore right. for us. Right. It's all out there in the open to to learn and appreciate. And we can use the vocabulary we feel comfortable right. with discussing it. I mean, sure. when I teach, uh, I'm a freelance educator and I work at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Um, and then I also work in the schools and other things. But you know, I'm I'm not gonna. I teach. I teach them things as objects. It's an object. It's a work right. of art. This is a good you know, a good work of art or not a good work of, of a, art. This um, uh, there's a piece of art. It's called a mirab. It's a wall niche. It's a okay. prayer niche. Now, I mean, in the museum, it's not facing the right direction. Mm-hmm. The, okay. It's not yes. facing. You right. know, so people don't. Is that pray intentional to it. so that yeah, people yeah, won't yeah, pray? Because in we're it? trying to take it a little okay. bit out of its yeah. context. Yeah. You know, sure. The, I think museums know that they're taking this yeah. work, you know, way out of context. On right. the other hand, we have a statue of on the other side of the museum. <laughs> there's a statue of um, Ganesha, yeah. who's uh, the Hindu <laughs> elephant, elephant-headed yeah. god. Um, mm-hmm. And if you look behind the statue, it doesn't have a box over it—a plexiglass box. If you look behind it, there are pennies that people leave there and candies hmm. sometimes because as gifts. Um, yeah, because Ganesha is the God of auspicious beginnings. Huh. So if you're about to get married or you're about to start a new job, uh-huh. when you pass by, you might leave Give a penny. Give them So <laughs> it's just – it's huh. very funny. So here's huh. here's something that is it's, – it's, you know, because Hindu people, they don't have a context the same way that Muslim people or, or you know, Christian people, they, they have different ways. I mean, they have household. They have those sure. things in their houses. Right. So there's a more familiar um, – Relationship to the yeah, to the sure. w- works of, of art that represent the deities, but in any case, it's just very it's very interesting, and I, I've never seen anybody at at any major museum that I've been to praying to any of the works of art, at least not overtly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't seen it. and I spend tons of time in museums. Sure, sure. So, it. But I think you're. I think that art it's transformative. I mean, art of all stripes. I'm not just talking about fine art. It, it right. takes you away from yourself and. That's always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for a little while. Vacation. Right. A vacation <laughs> away from yourself. Um, and no gas is required. Oh. It's one of those, I, I think, uh, um, us cerebral atheists, some of us who are more of the philosophical type, could really use a little more art because it's yeah. it's an exercise in getting outside of the verbal. and Well, it's emotional. Yeah. Art yeah. is always, you know, there's always emotion and there. that's the thing that lacks from so much of other than anger, I think. I mean, not to, to stereotype the angry atheist, but there's a lot of that. Sure, we're, sure. We're, we're, well, because we're, we're fighting against too, something. Though. Yeah, yes. Like you, because we don't love Jesus, we don't know love. Because, you know, right, we're, we're, right. We're, 
we have a chip, and we do have a chip on our shoulders, but that's sure. because people because we're a minority, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and and we're told again and again how people hate us and don't trust us, and that yeah. So yeah, so that's valid, but yes, I think we need a little bit less of the head stuff all the time and a little bit more of the heart yeah. stuff. Well, um, I'm not. I mean, you know, I I start my lectures by saying I'm not a scientist and I'm not a philosopher. <gasps> And so, half the room walks yeah, out. They don't they? No, but I mean, there is. What in can my, she possibly tell us? In my little journey uh, as this author that wrote this book, I've met a lot of non-believers who are scientists and who are philosophers yeah. and who are very cerebral. There's a few, and of they them. tend to like me because I'm not, you know, a hick or anything. But I just, I'm just not. I don't know. I mean, I can't name all of like. Austin Dacey at, at the conference oh, last November is like who's he ended his talk by asking his panelists who their favorite philosophers were and I was sitting there like <laughs> yeah. oh my god I remember that I and think he can I pronounce can name all like their two. names just right yeah too. well I finally uh. bought the 101 great philosophers and I read it and I feel really smart <laughs> er smarter <laughs> one last question Getting back to the children and the holidays, Santa Claus. Oh, how do we how do we deal oh, with Santa Claus? I left him out, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's one that specifically uh, Pendulette used to talk about this on his radio show mm-hmm. all the time. It was him and the other guy. One of them, you know, taught their kids Santa Claus is a myth, and the other one, you know, did well, the whole will Santa figure thing. it out. Eventually, Jeremy just honestly last <laughs> week. So. <laughs> I'm still dealing with that one. I think that – all right. I've got a couple of thoughts here. But one is that if your kids can figure out that Santa Claus is not real, and they will figure it out. Sure. Um, I, see, I kind of see it as like – well, because Santa Claus and Jesus are sort of close – in a lot of ways. And They're yet, buddies. And yeah. then, but then children outgrow the belief in Santa, but – yeah. They don't – they're not supposed to outgrow the belief in Jesus. I, that has always kind of confounded me and why it's a religious thing. It sort of seems almost like a non-religious thing. I mean children believe in – they believe that their teddy bears talk to them. They believe that their dolls are real. They believe that – that's the beauty of childhood is belief right. in in pretty much – Anything. Lots of things. And yeah. it's it's make-believe. I mean, come on. You walk into your kid's room and you go, they're like have a sheet over their bed. And what are you doing? I make-believe I'm in the Antarctic. I mean, does anybody <laughs> yeah. ever say like, don't do that. That's really bad. That's yeah. false. And, mm-hmm. and it's it's not rooted in reality. Right. You know, no. We're like, great. You go, honey. I see Santa Claus as part of that childhood wonderment, really. And so I was fine with Santa Claus in my household. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could I kind of wish it weren't Santa, which is obviously religious. <laughs> and um and but you know I, I don't I don't know. I I think he embodies this this idea, embodies like a lot of good things, like that sure. you give things to other people mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that you um like your son to die you, for your sins. <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, are, really am I what? picking up on a little anti-Santa-ness uh, coming out of Dave? No. Dave, do you have Santa issues? I never really believed in Santa. But oh, that's really? A longer, yeah, because my mom would dress up like Santa, and she did it <laughs> okay, really badly. Do it. Okay, so yeah. it was, yeah. Well, I just remember 
the I saved all the notes that my children wrote to Santa. Mm-hmm. It's very cute. Yeah, I bet. I'm sorry. It's just <laughs> yeah, cute. It's adorable. And then I, I mean, look, this is you have two choices. One is from you know the day after freaking Halloween <laughs> until Christmas. Every single time you see any image of Santa, you can point to it and go, "That's not true. <laughs> That's not real." Mm. You know, or you, you know, you can just kind of let it be whatever it's going to be. I mean, I remember when my daughter was little and like she saw a Santa. My mother's lives, she has a house up in the country and he was like in the town square handing out candy canes. And my daughter was like, oh my God, he's here. (laughs) There's no logic. Okay. It doesn't really look like, you know, but they just have this ability to be like excited and it's cute. But, you know, they do outgrow it and they start asking more and more questions. Right. And, you know, how come Santa doesn't ever eat the cookie with the nuts that you don't like, mom? <laughs> you know, and things yeah. like that. Yeah. And um, there was a time with my kids where they, they were like, tell us the truth about Santa. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to tell you the truth about Santa. I was, I was like, I said, Santa is an idea that you can choose to hold on to or you can flush it and that's up to you I said but you don't and I said Santa could be he could be like tiny he could be the tiniest tiniest thing in the world or you know Maybe he's not real, really real, but there is something there mm-hmm. that's important. That's what I think. And but you know, I get slammed a lot by hardcore atheists because I'm too nicey nicey, and um, you know, I don't take that hard line approach. But you know, neither of my kids are still writing letters to Santa, hmm. <laughs> and we still leave out cookies just because. We like it's cookies. funny. And yeah, then right. they're like, right? oh, mom, you ate too many of the ones with the white frosting. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with with. And, and in fact, I do think that the watching your kids question, because questioning is big, and grapple with this clearly illogical story mm-hmm. is good practice. Yeah. Because there are lots of. Wonderful, but clearly illogical stories out there right. that they are going to have to grapple with. Good like point. WMDs. And sell them. <laughs> oh, wow. Only that one's not full of candy and sugar. And <laughs> yeah, sweetness. that would be better yeah, if it true. were. Um, no, but I just really think that if you want to raise skeptics, you got to let them give them something to be skeptical about. That's a great sure. point. I, I seldom ever hear that emphasized, but it seems like such an obvious one. And to be able to sympathize, I don't know, maybe we're too nice too, but uh, uh, I think we... I'm rarely we, accused of that. We be, no, and we're getting less so the more the show goes on. <laughs> um, but, you know, I really think it's important to be able to sympathize uh, with the people who believe in these myths and these delusions, if you want to use the word, that mm-hmm. we combat as skeptics and not just think of them as somehow inhuman in their stupidity, but no, to actually realize these are real people who believe these things and enjoying the Santa myth and growing up with it. I mean, that's life experience in that area too. Yeah. And it's encouraging for me to hear from you that the key to good parenting is communicating with your children. What a, what a amazing idea. And and encouraging questions. Right. Which sometimes you just go, shut up already and get in the car. But, you know, (laughs) when you can sit down and have the conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think you should. Well, thank you so much, Nicolali. This was fantastic. Wonderful to be here.
All right, and we thought we would end this last podcast of the year with A Stranger Than Fiction. More religious groups protect baby Jesus with GPS units. Yes, the article from the Christian Post. Most Christian of all posts. Says, when baby Jesus disappeared last year from a nativity scene, village officials didn't follow a star to locate him. <laughs> Get it? Because of the uh, star? <laughs> yes. wow. A GPS device mounted inside the life-size ceramic figurine led sheriff's deputies to a nearby apartment. That's right. This all started in Wellington, Florida, a community center. Village officials, it says, put a GPS device inside the baby Jesus, and deputies were able to trace their stolen baby Jesus to the apartment of an 18-year-old woman who was then arrested for theft. Mm. And the Christian Post rather humorously points out uh, that these village officials were giving up on old-fashioned padlocks and trust. (laughs) A number of churches, synagogues, and governments and ordinary citizens are turning to technology to protect holiday displays from pranks or prejudices. Uh, Accordingly... I'm sorry. Old-fashioned padlocks and trust still (laughs) has me going. (laughs) Did did that mean that it could have been said uh, padlocks or trust? It's hard to couple the two (laughs) and the thought that trust is an old-fashioned notion that we can just throw out um, with the... uh, I like that. Throwing out the uh, baby with the uh, proverbial bathwater. Yeah. Or I guess with the manger. Yeah. As it may be. Uh, So... um, well, regardless, this is a new phenomenon that is spreading around uh, different parishes and uh, churches and local government institutions that may have nativities on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, protecting your baby Jesus with GPS is the way to go in in this new era of surveillance. And so just a, just a warning out there to our fellow secularists, if you are considering or thinking of possibly stealing a baby Jesus, well, then uh, we, we can't... S- Take we can't... out the GPS, flush it down the toilet. <laughs> yeah, right. Check it for homing devices. <laughs> you know, not that we endorse that kind of behavior. No, nor or, condone it. Uh, and yeah, No, not in any sort of way. Right. Um, uh, but, uh, but apparently people are doing but it. But if you're going to do it, uh, be safe. Make sure you check your baby Jesus for homing devices. Yeah, I, you got to wonder where they're they're actually putting it. Are they they splitting open plastic baby Jesus and sticking it in there? Is it like a spider tracer that they just stick it on the the back uh, where it could, goes unnoticed? We uh, could uh, we could give them a suggestion where to stick it. <laughs> baby Jesus and all. Uh so yeah, it's um, a sad day when old fashioned padlocks and trust get thrown out the window for more devious technology to protect uh, our plastic youth of the nation. Well, on that note, happy holidays to everyone out there. I hope you had a wonderful solstice, a happy Christmas, a merry Kwanzaa, a successful Hanukkah, and a joyous new year. Did we mention Festivus in there? Oh, and and have a groovy Festivus? I suppose. Yeah. All right. Anyways, we're not going to be back for a couple of weeks. Uh, Starting about the middle of January, of next year, 
our New Year's resolution to you is that we are going to try to do this podcast weekly for a while. Now, given that it's a New Year's resolution, we'll probably give up on it by the end of January. Most likely. But uh, we're going to try. So starting around January 13th, you should uh, start seeing us on a weekly basis. Until then, enjoy the holiday season. Keep those letters, comments, questions, and challenges coming in, and uh, you'll hear from us soon. Take care. To catch up on past Reasonable Doubts episodes or to email your questions or comments, check out www.doubtcast.org. Reasonable Doubts is a production of WPRR Reality Radio. You can find out more about Reality Radio at publicrealityradio.org. Reasonable Doubts theme music is performed by Love Fossil and used with permission.